I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief, and you're listening to EE Times On Air. This is day three of our special series of podcasts reporting live from the Consumer Electronics Show in the Mojave Desert. In the past couple of years, the automotive industry has dominated CES, and this year it's happening again. In today's episode... Qualcomm made some headline news, announcing it is burrowing deeper into the automotive market. We've got an interview with the Qualcomm vice president in charge of the company's automotive operations. Did we mention that Qualcomm is getting deeper into the automotive market? One of our colleagues has test-driven a new Qualcomm-powered autonomous vehicle. We'll report on that. Also, Live interviews with executives from Infineon and with Texas Instruments about adding autonomous functions to cars equipped with driver assist capabilities, also referred to as ADAS. An analysis of a novel approach for autonomous vehicles from Intel's Mobileye unit. And finally, Toyota surprised showgoers expecting the company to talk about cars. The company skipped right past that subject and on to planning entire smart cities. Some of the biggest news in automotive at this year's CES was Qualcomm's formal announcement of its Snapdragon Ride platform. The new platform got instant credibility with the announcement that GM is Qualcomm's new partner on assisted driving technology. Qualcomm long ago established itself as a supplier for connectivity and infotainment systems in the automotive sector. The market for vehicle automation seemed like an obvious next step, and investors have been wondering if the company was going to take that step. Qualcomm put an end to that question by rolling out the new ride platform, which it described as scalable. By mentioning that GM is now working with Qualcomm on ADAS, Qualcomm is also hoping to let the world know that the world's largest mobile chip company has a foot in the door in the ATIS market. Junko caught up with Nakul Dougal, Qualcomm's Senior Vice President and Head of Automotive Product and Program Management, right after the company's press conference in Las Vegas. She asked him to break down what exactly the Snapdragon Ride platform entails, what Qualcomm means by scalability, and whether the relationship with GM will have any impact on GM's partnership with Cruise, which has a focus on fully autonomous driving. We look at these, the automotive business in four ways. There is the telematics business and the CV2X business, which we've been in for a long time. That is a business we understand quite well. We started the Snapdragon digital cockpit business about five years ago, right. and that is doing exceptionally well. Between the telematics and the digital cockpit business, we now have over $7 billion in our design pipeline. We have over 19 automakers. We are leading in many of these areas, so that business is going really well. And uh, we announced two new areas mm -hmm. to our uh, portfolio today. The, the first one was the Snapdragon Ride platform, which is uh, an autonomous driving and ADAS platform. Mm -hmm. Includes an SOC, an accelerator, and the autonomy stack. Okay. And uh, this is uh, an area that we've been working for a number of years, and we announced it finally. Uh, what is going to differentiate us in this space compared to uh, competitors is the scalability. So we will address everything from level one to level five. Mm -hmm. The uh, efficiency of the uh, platforms that we have that we are building from a power perspective. So thermally, these are much more efficient compared to competing solutions. And then the stack 
uh, is a reference stack. You can use our stack, you can use components of the stack, mm -hmm. or you can bring your own stack. If you don't want to use ours, our platforms on the SOC and Accelerator are completely open. So this scalability approach to us is a big differentiator. We saw a lot of success when we did the digital cockpit business with scalability. Right. And uh, General Motors, who has announced a partnership with us across all three of these domains, across telematics, infotainment, and ADAS, we are prou very proud to see that relationship move forward. And then finally, we announced a fourth new service called car to cloud which is essentially designed to be able to manage the vehicle mm -hmm. from an automaker's perspective after it has been deployed. So manage it in terms of being able to make updates to the car, being able to unlock new capabilities, right. uh, make flexible configurations so that you don't have to change the hardware. The only way that you change it is actually through over-the-air updates and software. So these four areas, I think, put us in a very compelling position to have a very highly differentiated portfolio for our automaker and our tier one customers. All right. You know, keeping this conversation high level, what I'm gathering from various players in the automotive chip market is that um, in the past or even at present, a lot of car companies have been making what they call band-aid solutions. The new features coming in, they do a chip solution from one chip companies, and then another new features come in. Okay, we're going to switch to another company or another tier one who can uh, provide us, you know, provide us some 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 new solutions. So this has been a very you know fraught with so many variabilities. And so, how do you think that the, your Snapdragon right platform can answer that question. One thing that we have always done different is that when we engage with customers, we don't engage transactionally for one generation. We look at their requirements for the business that we are getting in across the board for every tier, and then we design our portfolio accordingly. With the right platform, very similar to the cockpit platform or the telematics platform, we have understood the requirements all the way from the entry to the most advanced systems. Mm -hmm. And we have built the portfolio to be very scalable. We start from 30 tops that could address level one requirements, all the way up to 700 tops for level four, level five, and even beyond if we need to get there. So that we understand that uh, there is no reason for the automaker to fragment their uh, partner base, their supply chain base, uh, to different suppliers for different tiers. Mm. And the reason so far automakers have had to do uh, to deal with this is that because they don't find scalable platforms that address the needs at the right cost point, at the right power efficiency point, and really in terms of being able to deliver that scalability, th those th these are very difficult solutions to deliver through any one supplier across the board. At Qualcomm, our strategy has been to be scalable right. always. And that, I think, is what is going to get away from what you define as the band-aids that okay. have so far been implemented. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Um, the You did mention your new relationship with GM. I mean, you've always had the relationship with GM, but you are now expanding the relationship all the way to ADAS. How does that fare with the GM strategy to work with, uh, you know, they've been working with crews on the autonomous vehicles. And if indeed Snapdragon ride platform can address all the way up to four plus, level four plus or five, what's going to happen? So let me make sure that we explain this quite clearly. Uh, the partnership that we've announced with GM, we've had a partnership on telematics for a long period of time. Sure. We've announced a partnership on the digital cockpit SOCs yeah. and now also on the ADAS SOCs. Right. Right? The stack that we are introducing for the right platform mm 
that is a level two stack, okay. level two, level two plus. And uh, the GM partnership is really around making sure that we have the ability to work with a partner like GM yeah. across domains like telematics, but now also new domains like infotainment, as well as uh, ADAS, uh, to essentially get around some of the challenge that, challenges mm -hmm. that you were mentioning earlier, where you have to keep switching from one generation to the other migration. to different suppliers. Yeah. Here, our relationship is based upon the fact that we have scalable platforms. Yeah. We deliver a level of capability and service to our customers. Yeah. And as they have seen uh, that we are a supplier that can be trusted, that can be rely on, that is meeting their commercial, their technical, their power requirements, yeah. they're looking at our platform and it's something that makes sense. I cannot comment on the uh, on other programs that uh, GM is obviously working on. All right. So when do you make, a, it's a Qualcomm, uh, when, when do you make a level three, level four, stacks available to your potential customers? So we have the level two plus stack uh -huh. available now, uh -huh. actually. And we are going to be continuously making updates to these level two stacks, uh, which will, in our belief, evolve to more capable stacks. You know, uh, we get asked the question, hey, do you support sensors like LiDAR, etc.? We can support all sensors. The stack is capable of supporting all sensors. We also keep in mind very carefully uh, the cost of these sensors. Sure. So as the sensors get to a cost point where they become broadly available, we are happy to add any sensors. As far as when we get to the next level of stack capability, I think it will be a progression. We believe that the uh, stack that we are delivering today is very compelling and automakers and tier ones who are interested in it can start to work on it and we will work with them to evolve the capability along with their own teams. Okay. Does your platform actually include, this is my last question, some of the network capabilities, in-vehicle network? We're talking about, the, you know, uh, bringing in more data inside the vehicle. We're talking about whole car, software upgrades, so on and so forth. You probably need the PCIe, you know, the, all the gigabit Ethernet kind of stuff. Uh, what sort of network processors are part of your uh, Snapdragon ride platform? So we support Ethernet, we support PCI on the Snapdragon ride. Yeah. Uh, we support over-the-air updates for all of these platforms. So really anything that is needed to uh, run the platform on the automotive bus yeah. for local internet working, all of that is available. And then of course on top of that, any software that is needed, any drivers that are needed, any over-the-air update solutions, any auto star solutions, all of those are included as part of the platform. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Thank you. As if working with GM isn't enough, Qualcomm burnished its ADAS bona fides by bringing its highly autonomous vehicle to Vegas. Jim McGregor, our friend at Tirius Research, got a chance to ride in it. And this is what Jim told us. He said, the ride was on a highway in Vegas. The car did well at merging, navigation, and even avoiding an aggressive Camaro that cut us off and almost spun out. Overall, it was a comfortable ride, and the system appeared to operate very well, he said. Of course, other chip giants in the autonomous vehicle segment, such as NVIDIA and Intel Mobileye, had already been there and done that. The market is getting crowded. Leading up to CES 2020, veteran automotive chip suppliers such as NXP Semiconductors and Texas Instruments also announced new chips. Both claim their respective product families will help OEMs and Tier 1s to modernize the current vehicle architecture. 
The goal is to enable car companies do over-the-air upgrades, for example, to become software-upgradable vehicles, a la Tesla. NXP calls its chip the Vehicle Network Processor. TI also announced a similar gateway processor and ADAS processor. Both companies are known for their grounded views on highly autonomous vehicles. Junko sat down with TI on the first day of the official opening of the CES show floor. She asked TI what it takes to be a trusted chip supplier to the automotive industry. The first voice from TI you hear will be Samir Wasan, Vice President and General Manager of TI's Processor Business Unit. The other voice belongs to Kurt Moore, General Manager and Product Line Manager for the company's Jacinto Processors. What are the basic unique requirements for to be in the automotive market as a chip company? You've got to understand the needs from a safety, reliability, longevity perspective. Bringing that together, expressing that in semiconductors, understanding the system, catering to those unique corner cases, those problems, that makes automotive very unique. And transferring some technology from a different market over here without the correct thought, without the correct architecture, without the correct time over target and R&D, often leads to bad results. Uh, Let me me inject myself. Talk about bad results. I mean, when we, Samia, you and I were talking about, you talked about the, uh, this industry, meaning automotive industry, has a long memory. Tell us a little bit about that. Has a long memory because these, this technology once, put in vehicles, mm-hmm. stays in these vehicles for a very long time. Long time, like 15 years or? Easy, right? Easy, yeah. I mean, some of, things will change. Some yeah. components change faster, some components will change slower. Right. But there is technology in cars which stays there for a very long time. So when you're thinking through it, right, a mistake done in one step can impact you for multiple years. And that mistake doesn't necessarily have to be catastrophic, right. it could be a poor systems choice. Right. It could be a sub-optimized system where the cost is not meeting where it needs right. to be, and that prevents it from scaling to where it needs to go and, and, and be accessible for everyone. Right. So our mission in life is to make sure that when we're making this technology, it is something which is scalable, accessible, right. and not make any of these sub-optimum decisions which prevent us from getting to that mission. And they are unforgiven. Once you make a mistake, can you get back, crawl back into the same OEM? It's not easy. Not easy. It's not easy. And I think as we're looking in the world, is the automotive market is changing, is now processors are moving into more and more mission-critical applications Ah. inside the car. Uh, This is becoming, it's becoming more and more important uh, to really be thinking about the system and how you implement the safety for these mission-critical uh, systems and yeah. not retrofitting something. Not retrofitting, yeah. You know, one of the things, you, I think, Samia, you're the one who mentioned that there are two schools of thoughts. Getting into this aut- autonomy business, I mean, we're talking about the level two cars to level four plus or level five cars. There are two schools of thoughts. One is sort of um, top-down approach from bottom-up approach. Tell us the difference and where TI sits in that spectrum. Yeah, we definitely, the difference is you can take a leap of faith and go build a general purpose compute and say, Let's, let me just brute force and get to a higher level of autonomy. We are not doing that. 
we are taking a more nuanced approach using a heterogeneous architecture yeah. so that we're using different components of processing to go solve specific problems. So if you need general purpose compute, we have general purpose compute. If you need specific vision accelerators because they give you the lowest power, we've invested in that. If you want to do machine learning and signal processing, we've invested in that. So we definitely believe in a more bottoms-up approach of building that technology and then letting it scale to as high as you want. Right. Bottom line is, safety is paramount. Right. To make safety happen, you've got to have that technology accessible for the masses. Right. And our technology enables you to do that because we don't need fancy cooling, for example. Right. We don't need anything which requires you to then go say, how do I architect this differently because my machine is just bigger. Right. We scale from really small to really big. Yeah. The really big is important, yeah. but being able to scale is more important. You know, but let me be an a devil's advocate. Some people talk about, um, really, there's a beauty to the top-down approach because you, you know, as you yourself mentioned that the, the OEMs always want next shiny object. So this year they might be focused on certain things. Next year they'll focus me something different whether it's a heads-up display or the, I don't know, um, the audio thing or whatever. So the, the chip companies are put in a position to provide one solution at a time which automotive companies want. But at the same time, that could end up, according to the top-down advocate, is that it's going to be a Band-Aid solution, Band-Aid after Band-Aid. So you eventually get the really unwieldy platform that you can't really, the, the, the decision you made this year, five years from now, could have been the wrong decision. What do you say to that? Well, I think the key thing that we're really looking at, right, is how do we deploy 8S to the masses? Okay. Deploying 8S to the masses is a, has a huge element of cost associated, a right. huge cost component to right. it. If you just start from the high end yeah. down, you're not going to be able to go hit those cost points or enable those system cost points right. to allow CarOEs to really deploy these 8S features to their entire fleet. Right. And that's really where we can go impact safety is by getting these 8S features into lower cost cars. Yeah. Because when you think about it, you know, those are going to be the largest number of cars, often driven by the people with less experience, you know, younger drivers, et cetera. Right. And that 8S functionality can really have a big safety impact. So by attacking those low-cost okay, systems so it's, it's, and getting those 8S functionality yeah. and worried, from worried about it from a cost f point of view, yeah. it's going to make the road safer. Yeah, and it's to your point, right? Yeah. Top-down has advantages if you're looking at catering to the top end of that market. Okay. Absolutely. What our strategy is, we want to cater to all of the market. Right. And scaling up sometimes wow. is easier than scaling down. Mm. Scaling up means you're putting two of our solutions and they're software compatible and they scale. I see. Scaling down, once yeah. you have that infrastructure built in the chip, right. scaling down yeah. comes at the cost of either cost or power. Yeah. Simple. It's physics, right? Right. So uh, we have taken an approach and saying, let's take a Lego block approach to this and build it up. The other thing is, no two OEMs are the same. Ah, that's a good... The, the, no no two, two card lines in the OEMs is the same. Okay. So there could be... Think of a very high-end OEM. They make really, really good cars, but they have a scale. They go from your economy car to the highest-end car. Your economy car may only have one SOC. Ah. 
Ah. And that is your front camera, that is your centralized compute sensor fusion, that is your automated park. Right. How do you cater to that? And that price point is a very different price point. Yeah. Secondly, that power, they don't have the budget to put water cooling. <laughs> the same OEM may actually have but, a very, very high-end vehicle. Right. Now, anyone catering to them, whether it is us or whether it is a tier one, that software investment is the most expensive one. So now we've got to come up, and that's what that's what quite frankly makes our job fun. Right. Is <laughs> how do you go crack this puzzle? And our strategy is let's go build Lego blocks. Let's go build Lego blocks when put together can get you to the highest level of performance which the OEM needs. But make sure you're catering to each of those segments in a thoughtful manner. And the ones that are going to be most cost sensitive are going to be the lower lower end vehicles. Right. So that's where we want to really make sure we optimize system bomb because that's <clears throat> one that's going to be critical. Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you. In yesterday's podcast, Junko interviewed NXP's CTO, Lars Rieger, about ultra-wideband technology. She also asked him how NXP would compete with new entrants to the autonomous vehicle market. Rieger's response was, we think we can completely complement each other. Recall, too, that Qualcomm was once planning to acquire NXP in hopes of expanding its business into the automotive market. The deal did not get consummated, but Rieger said NXP can work with a number of other chip companies, such as NVIDIA, Carly, or Qualcomm. Their primary focus is on AI. We, Rieger said, we've got the rest of the solutions ranging from vehicle networks to security safety. Next, Junko sat down with Peter Schaeffer, Infineon's division president responsible for automotive. The various ways to implement autonomy in vehicles actually occupies a spectrum. If robo-taxis are at one end of the spectrum, Sheffer sees a growing trend that car makers will be bringing down some use cases of level 3 and level 4 cars into what used to be more run-of-the-mill 8-ass vehicles. All right, I'm here with Peter at the Infineon booth, and uh, we were just talking about how this whole autonomous vehicle market, we've been here every year at the CES, and uh, 20, CES 2020, we see uh, the air has changed. I mean, thank goodness all the uh, you know, full-fledged hype of autonomous vehicles are kind of subsided, right? And we're talking about two different approaches for the autonomy. Explain where you see, I mean, explain how you see the different industry players approaching autonomy differently? Yeah, basically what, what I see is that we see the, the market splitting up in basically two approaches, where one approach is more for the uh, fully automated kind of level five cars, which will be uh, starting, from my perspective, mainly in the commercial use case, where right. you can, for example, replace drivers. And with that, you can uh, also justify the uh, technology which is needed in order to enable such a function. Yep. However, this number of cars will be limited to that commercial use cases. Where on the other hand side, what I see now with the complexity and complication about the approvals of a level three car, I see a lot of companies now taking um, single use cases out of a level three, level four car and pull them into a level two car, where then an incremental technology or the, the increment 
uh, right. or where the technology which is needed incrementally to add this function really delivers a benefit to the car owner. Okay, give me some specific examples of use cases of level three and level four. Yeah, such use cases could be, for example, a parking support. So if mm -hmm. you want to park the car, then this parking function can be one. Uh -huh. Second one could be a highway pilot. Okay, so it's a, a totally autonomous driving. Yes, for a certain situation, for a certain period of time. Okay, and these were not used to be considered as part of level two, right? Right, in the classical definition, this was not considered, and I see the changing now, yeah. and you may even call it a level two plus, right. where you add this kind of use cases. Yeah. And here, it's a lot about the sensors and also the dependable compute power to enable these functions. All right, so now we're talking about the general trend on the automotive industry. Where does Infineon sit? How do you enable it? Yeah, basically, uh, in the autonomous car, uh, you are replacing the eyes, the ears, and the brain of the human driver. Right. And that's why the semiconductor technologies are um, enabling that. And it's all about very precise sensing. Yep. And we are a leader in the 77 gigahertz radar system. Right. It's about dependable compute power. And this is all about our functional safe Oryx microcontrollers. And as these cars are connected to the outside world, it's also about cybersecurity. There is no safety without cybersecurity and defining hardware anchors for protection against cybersecurity is key. And this is a key asset we have in Infineon. Tell me a little bit about dependable compute power. What's the downside and how do you mitigate it? Yeah, on the one hand side, uh, most people, when it's talk about uh, uh, autonomous cars, are talking about the big number crunch. Yeah. But there's more than that. You need to have a fully fail operational and fail safe system. That's why you need to have a functional safe microcontroller next to the number cruncher. And this right. is what uh, Infinium provides. But then it's more than that. The whole system needs to be dependable. So, for example, if you're driving very fast on a highway and the power supply would be disconnected, then the computer cannot calculate. So therefore, also a very uh, uh, reliable and dependable power supply is key for that overall safety and security of the system. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Of course, for many of us covering the automotive sector at every CES, we don't feel complete if we don't attend Mobilize Press Conference. It's traditionally a one-hour lecture on the latest technology advancements from Professor Amno Shashua, President and CEO of Mobileye, which is now an Intel company. At a time when most automotive companies have been striving to achieve redundancy by fusing data from a variety of sensors, vision, radar, LIDAR, and others, Mobileye this year discussed a way to create redundancy by using only photographic cameras but running the incoming data through different types of neural networks. Junko got help from Phil Magny, founder and principal at VSI Labs, to break down Mobileye's new proposal. We just came out of the uh, Mobileye's press conference, and Phil and I were talking about, it's almost like having been in a classroom for one hour. So what was your biggest takeaway, Phil? 
Well, it's hard to come out of an, uh, a press event like that and not feel impressed. And uh, I feel like it's very authentic. And I feel like there's a lot, lot of science, a lot of very pragmatic information presented um, in, in, this, in, this, in this announcement, in this release. That's true. It was less fluff, yep. less marketing uh, one-liner, but it's more about substance. Okay, yep. Yep. let's break it down um, because there are a few things that surprised us, yep. right? One thing was um, the Professor Shashur talking about the use of camera yep. can actually go a long way in terms of... Uh, driving towards autonomy. Tell me a little bit about what did you see in terms of their heavy use of camera, how it has been evolving. Yeah, I, um, I completely agree with you. Obviously, it's a very camera-centric approach, uh, uses many cameras. Uh, but what I like about it is we're starting to see a diversification of AI algorithms used to go after a problem in multiple different ways. And that's how you're able to create a little bit of redundancy uh, with through the camera solution. So, uh, it was pretty. It was pretty impressive that um, that even though they are still using cameras, they're through a, a a couple of different neural networks. They're able to really kind of simulate what you could do with lidar. Yeah, some of the pictures they saw it was interesting. So on one stream they use the heavy use of cameras, but there is a separate stream. If the companies choose to do so, they can bring in radar and lighter, and that could also provide the redundancy. Is that what they said? Yeah, I think I think basically, you know, you, you, it's you know, it's going to be up to the customer, <laughs> yeah, really, right. as far as what the what, what's the customer going to be comfortable right. with. Right. I think the fact of the matter is, I think that you can do a terrific job of creating right. uh, level two plus automation with a camera centric solution. I think the proof is there that it can be done. Uh, obviously, another company that's very successful with that is is Tesla, uh, but honestly. Uh, not every OEM is going to be 100% comfortable with that. And so they're going to still probably want to use it, certainly uh, radar yeah. uh, and possibly even LIDAR as well if the prices come down. All right. So let's talk a little bit about very impressive YouTube video um, the, uh, he shared uh, with the audience today. Uh, he was talking about driving in Jerusalem is Boston Plus, mm -hmm. which sounds, um, you know, pretty deadly to me. <laughs> but uh, tell me, um, the uh, what did we see in that YouTube? What was so impressive about it? Well, I think basically they were they were showing that um, uh, 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 the ability to be agile uh, when they are faced with a lot of uh, situations, like in that video, it's showing a a tandem bus which is very, very big, so it occludes a lot. Right. So you have to take that into consideration. Then they're showing how it's coping with the pedestrian. Uh, but it's also showing a little bit of assertiveness as far as its right. ability to be agile because this is on the on on the fact that if you are overly cautious with your AV stack, you're going to be painfully slow, and that's going <laughs> to be bad for everyone. Slow, slow. You, who yep. would pay for robot? Who would pay for a robot taxi when it's too slow to get there? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then yeah, because yeah, 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 time is money and yeah. uh, and valuable rather. Yeah. yeah. So what was the timeline that the mobile I talked about today? He was talking about that we won't get to the consumer AV until 
we nail down the uh, robo taxi, right? One thing he'd made perfectly clear is that the robo taxis is really going to be coming in as a transportation, as a service, rather than any kind of consumer, uh, you know, level four or four right. plus vehicles. It's going to be led by. Um, a handful of companies that are going to deploy it as a commercial business, right. which has kind of my been always been my yeah. expectation as well. Um, and again, I can't recall the name off the top of my head, but you know, they're working with several companies on that, and some right. some Neo new ones. Like Neo and in China, uh, yeah. Neo in China, yeah, Ex yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, so yeah. I think they're making great progress, and yeah. of course, and then of course the other segment is the yeah. is the evolution of ADAS into level two plus, and they seem to have a very solid plan for yeah. that, and a lot of customers lined up. Uh, and programs in place for that, too. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. During the briefing, Shashua talked about the importance of executing on the robo-taxi business. He claimed that a fully autonomous commercial robo-taxi today could cost between $10,000 to $15,000. But with enough experience and insights gained from the robo-taxi business and Mobileye's own development of new hardware, a consumer-automated vehicle might be possible at less than, get this, $5,000 by 2025, he said. Toyota traditionally has a splashy presentation every year at CES, and it traditionally talks about cars, but things change. Frequent EE Times contributor David Benjamin, Benji, attended the presentation. So Benji... Uh, you walked into a press conference expecting to hear all about cars and a smart cities press conference broke out. Is that right? Yeah, it was uh, the Toyota press conference. Akio Toyota, the chairman of Toyota, was the, uh, was the speaker. Uh, and in the, in the last few years, of course, the, Toyota presented uh, concept cars and talked about uh, automated driving, and usually featured Gil Pratt, who uh, is one of the uh, really smart guys uh, talking about uh, uh, autonomous driving, uh, and one of the few who warned that it's going to be a, a longer haul to get to uh, the level five family car than, than, the, uh, than the industry really, really wants. Um, but instead, uh, Toyota's son talked about uh, building a woven city, which would be a smart city that interweaves uh, all the elements of artificial intelligence from scratch in the area around Mount Fuji in Japan, close to where my wife's family lives, uh, and I'm encouraging them to buy up real estate. <laughs> Good advice. So did he present this as a, as a concept community, or is Toyota actually building it? Uh, that's a good question. Um, the, he introduced Bjarke Ingels, who's head of the uh, Bjarke Ingels Group, B-I-G, uh, from Copenhagen, uh, who is the architect who has drawn up these uh, spectacular artist renderings of the place. I think that in some respect or another, Toyota must have uh, control over the, over the turf, uh, because they were presenting it as a future reality. But they also said that they're going to build the whole thing virtually before they build it physically. Uh, and they were inviting investors and innovators uh, and anyone inspired by uh, living a better life in the future to contribute to the project. So I think that it's um, not necessarily 
uh, going to come around next six months or so. So this isn't exactly a complete and utter departure from uh, vehicle technology and electronic vehicle technology. So they're going to be talking about a smart city with all of that entails, parking meters and home management and that sort of thing. But they're also talking about some of the infrastructure about delivering things, delivering groceries, delivering people. So uh, it looks like there's a, a, a vehicle component to this smart city. And uh, tell us what Toyota discussed about that. Well, one of the things that Gil Pratt was talking about the last couple of years was the, the, the real immediate future for autonomous vehicles. It will be things like delivery vehicles and shuttles uh, and trams that follow a, a fixed route that essentially go in a loop from point A to point B, back to point A again, uh, uh, and uh, and deliver things, move people around, uh, pick up nannies, drop them off, uh, things like that. Uh, and my impression of this woven city is that virtually all the vehicles on the streets where vehicles will be allowed uh, will be these sorts of uh, autonomous, uh, loop-driven uh, vehicles delivering things, and there won't, I don't think there'll be any parking meters. And I think people's private cars, uh, assuming they have them, uh, will be uh, parked beneath or around these uh, these George Jetson condos that are going to go up. Uh, and and if you go, if you're commuting someplace else, going out to Tokyo or or Chigasaki or uh, Yokohama, uh, you're going to be, you know picking up your car in the garage and, and, and leaving uh, Woven City and, and, and driving on regular roads and probably not using an autonomous car. So we should mention first that this is the, the initial concept. Uh, city might be too grand a word to describe it, right? Well, the initial population is going to be 2,000. So we're talking about a smart village. Uh, and I, but you know, who knows how big it could get uh, again, I talked about you know the fact that it's close to Mount Fuji, and if it gets big enough, they'll probably have to tear down Mount Fuji and build suburbs, or drill into it, one or the other, right? Well, if if you could get rid of those tourists who go up and down the mountain all the time, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. <laughs> Thanks, Benji. And so we conclude our third day of coverage of the 2020 Consumer Electronics Show. This is our final podcast live from CES. We invite you to listen to our first two as well. Our regularly scheduled podcast is our weekly briefing, which we usually present every Friday. Well, not this Friday. We'll resume our regular schedule the Friday after next. This podcast is produced by AspenCore Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. The transcript of this podcast can be found on eetimes.com. Find our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Blueberry, or the EE Times website. Signing off from CES in Las Vegas, I'm Brian Santo.